Blog Talk Radio. again today. Today we're going to be continuing with our ongoing inquiry into, well, nothing short, honestly, of the nature of reality. That's really, it's really the game, folks. Our perception, our belief systems, our attitudes, where do they all come from? What are they all about? What is the very nature of life itself? What is our purpose here? And from what do we derive meaning? At the end of the day, we all know that those are, you could say, the frequencies at which we vibe and, uh, and relate to. Because everything else, you could say, is really on top of these seminal, perennial questions that reach down deep into our hearts and souls like really nothing else, nothing else. After that comes, what is the nature of love? What is the nature of joy and happiness? What is the nature of service to humanity, to the planet? So we're very fortunate today to have another adventurer and fellow traveler on the path of evolutionary wisdom and taking a look under the veil, so to speak, at what makes the universe tick and what makes us tick. Alexander Dunlop, who is a spiritual life coach and founder of the Center for Spiritual Nutrition. Alexander is a very interesting man. He is a graduate from Harvard University and was for quite some time a consultant on Wall Street. But that didn't really uh, satisfy him. He was driven to leave his, uh, you know, probably very prosperous work down on Wall Street and uh, strike out on a different path where uh, he is now and helping lots of people in his private practice as a spiritual life coach uh, using the, interestingly enough, playing card deck that we all know and probably grew up with. But there's another level, a symbolic level, an esoteric level, that we'll be spending today's show uncovering with Alexander. Just a little bit more about him, because his, uh, his background is really wonderfully stunning. 
he has been featured in Forbes magazine for his unique coaching practice and was also named by Coachville USA as one of 25 superhero coaches across the country. Most people don't know that the ordinary deck of playing cards is actually what he calls the ancient book of life, a hidden uh, hidden in plain sight kind of uh, book that none of us had realized when we were playing gin rummy or blackjack. But in fact, there's a whole other level that Alexander has learned about and has further developed, which is going to be the subject of today's show. So, Alexander, are you with me? I am with you. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. Hey, listen, it was your life experience that I was just laying out like a deck of cards on the table, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm really happy to be talking with you, and thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's really a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. And I, just to let the audience know, I had the pleasure of meeting with Alexander just the other day and sitting down in his office, uh, actually a beautiful office with a fabulous view of the Flatiron area, uh, Flatiron District of New York, uh, 920 Broadway. And looking out the window, he revealed to me sort of the inner workings of the deck, uh, which, well, of course, I've been aware that it had an entire esoteric character, but he laid it out to a further level that I really was not aware of, and I really appreciate it. And it's really based on what I've learned from him about this that I really wanted uh, my audience here to be able to partake of and learn about from Alexander directly. So I'm really glad you're here, Alexander. Without further ado, I'd really love for you to just take the platform and lay out sort of uh, what you did for me the other day and uh, what you were enlightening me about regarding the, the deck and your work. Yes. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much. And um, really an honor and a pleasure to share with you and your audience this evening. So Great. as you were mentioning, I have had quite a journey. And I really searched everywhere for the meaning of my life. It started for me at age 17. I had a spiritual experience and it propelled me on a quest to understand who or what God is and what is the meaning of life. And it led me through seminary. I wanted to be a priest at one point. Um, I did work on Wall Street as well, as you mentioned. And then when I left that behind, I went to India and I was living in ashrams, meditating eight hours a day. I took initiation as a Swami there. Came back from India and started a holistic center. And I was apprenticing to indigenous shamans. Um, but it wasn't until I found the real meaning of the playing cards that I actually did find the meaning of my life. And I found the real meaning of the playing cards at a party in Brooklyn. So it's really funny uh -huh. to me. I went to, I went to seminary and I traveled to India and I studied with shamans, but it was at a party in Brooklyn that I found the meaning of my life. <laughs> that was really funny. That's, uh, you know, Trungpa Rinpoche, the great Tibetan Buddhist teacher, said that the next Messiah is going to be uh, an insurance salesman from New Jersey. So it's sort of in that same <laughs> ilk, you know. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and it's really apropos because this deck of playing cards is close to home, and we really 
don't need to have searched any further abroad than what was right under our nose all this time, right? It's just a question of having yeah. the eyes to see it, of course. And I always loved playing cards growing up. My family played a lot of cards. So from an early age, we were playing all kinds of card games. And little did I know that all this time I was playing with the meaning of life, literally. Because this is what these yeah, cards represent. Exactly. Yeah. The cards represent a mathematical matrix. So just yeah. to give a little bit of an introduction, as I did for you in my office, yeah. there are 52 Please. cards in the deck. And there are 52 weeks in the year. There are four suits, the hearts, clubs, diamonds, and spades, and there are four seasons in the year. There are 13 cards in each suit from the ace to the king, and there are 13 weeks in each of the four seasons, right? So there's these correspondences of the seasons and the, the numbers throughout the year. But then if we go a step further, if you add up the number values of the cards where the ace is worth one, then you have the two through ten, the jack, queen, and king are 11, 12, and 13. So if we add those numbers together for each suit, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, etc., you get 91. So each suit has 91 values in it, and there are 91 days in each of the four seasons. Now, 91 times 4, for a little math quiz, is 364. <laughs> so all... 52 cards, the values of them, the face value, add up to 364. The 53rd card of the deck is the Joker. The Joker is the anomaly. His numeric value is one and one-fourth, himself plus one each of all the four suits. We put him back in the deck and we get 365 and a quarter. So you might think of him like the leap year. He's the remainder in the mathematical formula. Now, we have a little deck that represents the seasons and the cycles of our life on Earth, literally. And if we can imagine putting a binding on it, now we have, in fact, a little book that represents our life on Earth. Now, in ancient esoteric societies, it was known as the Book of Life. And it's important for us to keep in mind that in ancient times, the notion of what made a book is different than our own. Right? The books yeah. of the Bible were written on scrolls and parchment. They didn't have bindings. So to the ancient mind, it didn't have to have a binding in order to be thought of as a book. So even though this was not bound, it was known in ancient societies as the Book of Life. In yeah. the Middle Ages, though, it was persecuted as the Devil's Picture Book. The church called it the Devil's Picture Book, and and then, of course, it's fascinating to me that I've come full circle. I wanted to be a priest, and now I'm practicing witchcraft, yeah. according to the church. You know. <laughs> but God but created it all, Alexander, so no worry. Well, exactly. And, you know, it was a power struggle in the Middle Ages, which is interestingly also known as the Dark Ages. So this was a dark time in our consciousness. And this ancient book that gives us the key the mathematical key to understand our life on Earth was persecuted and it went into hiding and it was kept alive by gypsies. Um, and again, it's fascinating to me, if you had told me that one day I'd be doing the work that gypsies used to do, I would never have believed you. you know? yeah. um, but here I am now bringing forth this teaching because it's been so powerful and so life-changing for me. It really did help me find the meaning of my life and now I love sharing it with my clients and with everyone else 
to help everyone find the pathway of life, to get connected to the mathematical truth of our life, because it is a numbers game, and we can see it with mathematical precision. So, so that's what well, I'd know, love to do. That, yeah, that's a, a beautiful rendering of uh, the story. And uh, if you ask any musician who is particularly, let's just say, spiritually attuned, they will also tell you that music is really um, a, a beautifully aesthetic arrangement of mathematics and that the entirety of the universe is actually constructed by number. And those Kabbalists who uh, study anything similar to this also understand that there is a, a number that uh, is associated, that correlates with every of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And again, yep. that the entire Torah is essentially a mathematical construction as well. So it's really interesting when we cast our eye back to the ancient understandings. It was actually very sophisticated, and it actually matches with what quantum physicists understand today. They're describing the nature of reality as well through number and mathematics. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I believe that as quantum physics develops and as people like yourself and, and me and other folks who are bringing out the knowledge of the real meaning of the deck of playing cards, I believe we're going to find that quantum physicists realize that there's an exact mapping of the numbers of these cards to the quantum field in terms yes. of, let's say, strength theory. So string theory proposes there are 11 or 12 strings of reality. Well, in the Book of Life, there are 13 strings. Each suit is composed of 13 variables. So perhaps mm -hmm. we're going to discover in the quantum field that there are actually 13 strings, right, like this. Yeah. So um, I think we'll evolve and see that as we go forward. Exactly. That's another mapping and matching that just further corroborates, you know, your fundamental perspective. Now, as you learned from this journey about yourself and you studied what was available about the playing cards traditionally, historically, uh, were you able to also make discoveries on your own through years of playing with the cards in this way? Uh, where you were able to see, I know that when you do sessions, you do them in groups. So each session sort of uncovers another layer of a person's life slash reality, you know, having to do with, let's say, their personal relationships, their professional relationships and career, um, maybe family relationships, the relationship, I imagine, to their soul, on and on. Were you able to yes. un <laughs> I pardon the pun, unpack that from the playing card pack? Well, you know, that's there's a lot in your question and um yes, I was able to receive a lot of direct insights and um there hasn't been that much written about these playing cards, their real meaning. Um, there have been a few books written, and I've read those and and then found myself still wanting to know more. And mm -hmm. you mentioned learning from my own journey. And yeah. a lot of the way 
as I'm receiving information about the real meaning of these cards now comes directly and especially through my own shamanic experiences and learning to accept things I never used to really accept, which is that one can be a direct channel of divine insight and inspiration. And um, I meditate and or I'm doing a ceremony with shamans and then the next thing I know I have some new insight that comes to me about the meaning of these cards. And so it's been a process of me accepting that that's even possible and then embracing it and and downloading it and, and sharing what I receive. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I, I would have to wager that over time, having explored the different paths that you have, um, that your own sensibility, your own sensitivity, your own intuitiveness have all become more and more refined. Plus, working with the cards for a number of years and working with people and beginning to discern patterns of people who are the queen of hearts or, uh, you know, the nine of spades or, in my case, the seven of diamonds, you know, you start to see certain similarities occurring over and again. And But you would also see differences, of course, not all. Maybe this will be a good moment, uh, if you think, to kind of go into, I know my audience loves learning different bits and pieces about me. Sometimes I've had astrologers on and they no pun intended, again, unpack various aspects of my character, light and dark, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, it helps to exemplify the work that you're doing. And I'm I'm open game. Maybe you can use me as an example <laughs> for uh, what this looks like to a potential client. Well, sure. Uh, so we all have 13 cards to play, and it's determined by the numbers of our date of birth. So yeah. we're using that those numbers in a formula. So in that sense, it's a little bit like numerology as well. It's a, there's an overlap there. And so as you mentioned, your first card to play, the first of your 13, is the seven of diamonds. And diamonds is the suit of the physical world, as we spoke about. And the number seven we classically think of as the spiritual number. And so your role in life is to spiritually embody our values. And how can we, all of us, embody our spiritual values? This is your interest. And this is, as we spoke about, and then the challenge for you is despairing that it's not ever going to happen or despairing that it's not happening fast enough or looking around you and wishing that people would embody, embody spiritual values more often, right? And so yeah. it can lead you to some despair um, in seeing that. Yeah. It can also lead you to want to be aloof, from life because it's not the spiritually enchanted place you wish it could be. You know? right. But then on the high side, what you do and what I'm sure you're doing on your radio show for a lot of people is helping people to uplift their own spiritual sensibility to embody a higher vibration, to embody higher mm -hmm. values and higher possibilities, like really in practical, tangible ways. Uh, and so this is what you're offering. And and it's a wonderful thing. And thank you for allowing me to participate in your game oh, sure. and what you're doing. Oh, sure. 
Sure. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your good words. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of a role that's a little unappreciated overall by uh, many, but simultaneously and in parallel, greatly appreciated by many others. And you just have to kind of roll with it, right, and flow. Yes, and this is part of your challenge in playing your game, as we spoke about, is maintaining your own buoyancy, maintaining faith in the face of apparently contradictory evidence where you're not seeing the proof of your hard work to help us all embody spiritual values and to maintain the faith that it is coming, that you are an outlying variable as a way shower, you know, leading the way of where the current is flowing. And so holding the faith that it really is flowing in this direction, right? That you may not see all the results just yet. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I'm on your website. In fact, let's let everybody know. If you want, you should really visit spiritualnutrition.org, which, by the way, is a a fabulous name. And, uh, of course, I I had mentioned to you, and I'm sure you're aware of, uh, the wonderful and great Dr. Gabriel Cousins, who wrote a book Mm -hmm. by the same name. Is that where you first heard it, or did you um, just sort of naturally, did it naturally arise in your consciousness? Because it naturally it's such a, arose. an appropriate it, 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 phrase. Yeah, it, it naturally came to me, and um, yeah. when it came to me, I quickly Googled it, and I was delighted to see that I was in good company. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. Gabriel Cousins, is, his book is the first one that comes up on the search for spiritual nutrition, although maybe yeah. now that my, my website may actually be the first one comes up under spiritual nutrition. I'm not it sure. It may be. But, it may be. But sure. anyway, it's become uh, I, quite popular. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, it, now, it I'm, I'm on your website. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Please go on. No, I was just saying, it, it came to me because what we most need in the Western world, I believe, is spiritual nutrition, soul yeah. nourishment, nourishment for That's our right. soul. And uh, what we're most lacking, unfortunately, in our Western world is spiritual nutrition. We don't have it, and we see all the symptoms of spiritual malnutrition everywhere. And these That's are the right. symptoms of despair and hopelessness, anxiety, stress, etc. These all happen when we don't have spiritual nutrition. So this is what That's I want right. to most give is this soul nourishment. And the soul nourishment that we most need is to know who we are, why we're here, and what we're meant to be doing when we're here. And when we know these things, then we have a peace of mind. Right? Then we have that peace that passes understanding. Um, so, so this is where it comes from, and wanting to offer the real spiritual nutrition. Yes, exactly. Well put. Beautifully put. We are speaking with Alexander Dunlop, who is uh, the founder of the Center for Spiritual Nutrition here in New York City, and you can uh, reach uh, more information about him and him at www.spiritualnutrition.org, spiritualnutrition.org. And we're spending today's show in entirety speaking with him about his use of what is otherwise considered an ordinary deck of playing cards. But after you speak with Alexander and after you listen to the show, you will see that that playing deck is anything but 
ordinary, but it is, as Alexander beautifully put it, the book of life itself, and we are revealed in this very book of images and of sacred design, actually, and uh, I very much appreciate it. Also, I just want to take a moment to remind you all that you are listening to Mitchell Rabin at A Better World here on uh, Blog Talk Radio every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and please go to our website, and if you don't get it yet, sign up for our newsletter, which announces our several shows each week, Monday night on Progressive Radio Network with uh, Gary Knowles' station, where we speak about different films, documentary films, that are making a real impact on the planet. And then uh, A Better World TV, just before that, 7 o'clock, where I interview the sung and the unsung heroes of our society, people really making a difference and an impact, and it's inspiring to speak with them myself and to uh, be part of the dialogue and share it all with you. And today, as said, we are looking at the playing cards and the whole notion of spiritual nutrition by a man who's been walking this path for years now, Alexander Dunlop. Alexander, as I'm looking at your site, and I did bring up the Seven of Hearts here just so I put my own name and date of birth and all of that in, it also shows another card that says, your card for this year, then there's uh, your card for today. The card for the year is the Two of Hearts. Well, just one moment, Mitchell. Did you bring up the Seven of Diamonds as your birth card? That's Seven of Diamonds is your birth card. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Seven of Diamonds, yeah. Yeah. But it says the card for the uh, year, Alexander, is is the Two of Hearts, and then Ten of Spades for the card of today. And then you also have a 52-day card there as well. Which is the Jack of Hearts. Okay. So there's there's a lot of heart around here. Yes. So what that tool is showing you is it's showing you your primary card for life, which is seven of diamonds, and we have 13 for life. Now, every year we have new cards to play, and this is the main reason why the Book of Life doesn't have a binding on it, because the pages shuffle every year. So every year, starting on our birthday, we have 13 new cards to play. And what that tool, that widget is showing you, is showing you what is your 52-day card, which is the cycle of your year that you're in right now. We have seven 52-day cycles every year. And it's showing you your main card for the year, which is the main theme of your year. It's also showing you what is your personal daily card. And that's a little bit like your personal daily astrological reading. It's your personal daily card. Um, So there's a lot of information there. Um, But it's a good question because I want to make sure folks know how to read that and and know what they're looking for. Yeah, understand the distinctions. Uh Uh-oh, this is scary. This is scary. The Ten of Spades is called the Workaholic card. And uh, can I admit admit this on the air? I'm guilty. (laughs) If you were a Roman Catholic priest right now, I would have to go into confession. Yes, well, the, these patterns are revealing. It is true. <laughs> I, I, I have not found anything more accurate 
you know, with due respect to astrologers and numerologists and other folks in the world, I have never found anything as accurate as this ancient knowledge that is yeah. contained in the playing cards. So it's the tool yeah. that I prefer to work with and um yeah. So I understand that now now you're really making me um sweat. Um the two of hearts says the love affair card and all I can say is I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> well, that's your card for the year, right? Is that, is yes. that what it's showing you? Yeah. Yeah. So it means that the main theme for your year will be your one-on-one romantic interactions. And I that see. could be with your, your partner, your wife, uh, whomever. But the main yes. theme or the lessons that you're learning this year or where your energy is going to be directed is going to mm-hmm. be around your romance and the matters of your heart and the intimacy. Mm. So has that been true for you so far since your birthday? Has the, your romantic relationship taken a lot of your energy and attention? Yes, it has. It has a lot. And I see that it dovetails, interestingly, here, Alexander, with my 52-day card, the Jack of Hearts, which is also called the card of sacrifice through love. That even more so sacrifice indeed yes you've been feeling like you've been making a lot of sacrifices in love recently well for a few years now frankly but um this could this go on for a few years (laughs) this card or does this deck get reshuffled well here let's uh let's make another really important distinction let's go back to thinking about your whole life your lifelong patterns, your 13 cards for life. The Jack of Hearts is your personality card for life. So you happen to have it, you happen to have it in this year's spread, so to speak, but it's in your primary spread. It's, and it's your second most important card for your whole life after your birth card. So yes, your whole life, you're going to have these themes of making sacrifices in love. And yeah. feeling like you're a bit of a martyr at times, like you give so yeah. much that it hurts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you have an extra cross hanging around, I might want to borrow it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that's and interesting. If you, if, if you look at the Jack of Hearts, since you're looking at it on my site, you'll see that he's a one-eyed Jack. Yeah, and he he and the Jack of Spades are the two one-eyed Jacks. Now, the symbolism, and you referred to it earlier, and we can read the symbolism. The symbolism means that you may be blind in love. You may only see with one eye. So you may see things a certain way and refuse to admit or acknowledge there's a a different perspective. So you can be stubborn and willful in your desire to love the way that you want to express your love, and you may close your eye to the other perspective. This is really challenging for you because you will be determined to do it the way you're going to do it, even if that means sacrificing yourself. And, And that can go both ways. You can be determined in a different way. But however you make up your mind that you're going to love in this way, you can be blind to the alternatives. 
so you can get caught in patterns of love. Mm. Now, on the high okay, side... Okay, that's enough, actually, Alexander. That's enough. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Yeah, on, the, on, no, the, I, on, the, on the high side, right, we, we all choose... Yeah. We have free will. This is really important to say, so I'm glad for the yes. opportunity to express it. We have free will, so we yes. choose how to play our cards, which is where we get all these expressions to play our cards right. right? These are literal mm-hmm. expressions. So you can That's choose right. how you play these archetypes. And the high side, the, the way to master the game of the jack of hearts is to realize that you can open that blind eye to the divine love and open yourself as a conduit of Christ consciousness energy, Christ consciousness broadly defined, like Buddha consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the jack of hearts is the prince of love. So you can bring love from a very high vibration, from a divine place. And yes. that eye that we can't see, that's, that's not shown, can be like your eye into the non-material, non-physical world where you can see the truth of love and its mystical beauty and you bring that love into reality. Mm. So this is what you can do when you're coming from a very high place is you really can be a prince of love. In, In the fullest sense of love with a capital L, you can be a prince of love. And we all benefit from that. And then your gift of love is one that empowers all of us, right? But if you're operating with a blindness, then you will be willful and stubbornly determined to do the love the way you want to, almost like a truculent little child. Mm-hmm. So there's an, there's an either or with the jack of hearts, um, either a mystical love that's divine or like the prince who's the spoiled brat who is determined that he's going to do it the way he wants to do it, come hell or high water. Um, And so it's very important for you to open that eye to other perspectives, to the divine perspective, and to the much bigger perspective of what love means. Yes, yes. So uh, I hope that's helpful. It's very helpful. It's very right on, man. It's very on. It really uh, captures my imagination, and it also captures really my experience and the way I know myself. Uh, So just as love can start with an uppercase L or capital L, so can the word prince and the P. It can be lower or upper, depending on mm. what nature one is approaching it from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And this is very much true of the prince. I mean, we could keep going. The prince lives in the castle, right? Let's keep going yes. with the metaphor. Daddy sure. is the king and is the queen. So the yeah. prince can have a chip on his shoulder, like, I have something to prove. Like, you know, people don't respect me enough because I'm not yet fully in my authority. I'm just a prince. So there can be a sense of, like, I have something to prove and I really have to distinguish myself. And so you can overexert yourself trying to distinguish yourself in love as if to prove that you really do belong in the royal kingdom of love. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, there can be a sense of entitlement. Like, I'm in the castle and you can't tell me what to do because daddy is the king and mommy is the queen. You're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. 
So there yeah. can be this sense of, um, like, don't rein me in. Don't fence me in. I'm a free bird. I'll do as I please, and how dare you tell me what to do. So like this, and it's up to you to play it right, to learn with your free will, being an eternal soul that you are, that I am, that we all are, to figure out how to play this game of the Prince of Love in a way that masters the game of your life. Yep, beautiful. You know, it also, I think there's maybe another posture uh, for a prince as well, which is that he has been eternally blessed with a position to be of service, whether he's in the the king, he's the kingpin, so to speak, uh, or in the king's position, or he's in the prince's position. He's in a position of service to the land, to the people of the land, to the people of the realm. And it's his job to approach with humility and with the honor of the position to do what he can to lighten and enliven the life of the people. Would you say that would be the the higher side of the prince? Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly right. And it's like we might think of as an aristocratic privilege. Right? Yes. The prince, as say, has this position of privilege and power. He has a birthright, which, should he choose to use it wisely, empowers him to be of great service. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's certainly connected, Alexander, to the old uh, principle of the mandate of heaven when it was truly abided by that heaven or universal intelligence or God or the divine says you will lead the people you know uh, as existed in Europe and in India Um, those kings or those royalty really that took that seriously that mandate seriously not as, aren't I great, aren't I special, but rather, oh my God, this is a responsibility for which I am accountable. And there are all of these hundreds or thousands of people that are in some way in my care, and their well-being is in my hands. I have to make sure, let's say, that the taxes aren't too high, that there's enough irrigation for the fields, you know, what have you, um, through the course of centuries, so that the people can thrive and, uh, and live in peace, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you yes, think of it that way. Exactly. And that's exactly yeah. right, and that is the high vibration of the royalty, the royal position of authority that comes through service. Yes. Exactly. And unfortunately, historically, we see too much abuse of that power. And it really goes for the the senators and the congresspeople and the White House and every other head of state across the planet. We see on one hand there is the election of the uh, leader, and then we will or will not see actual leadership, or we will see whatever we happen to see. But, you know, you've worked with captains of industry and others over the course yes. of years in your 
in your work what what's mm-hmm. shown up what how have they been able to integrate what it is you've had to share with with some of these folks oh that's a really great question and um it, it's an ongoing discovery for me in that process and sure. the uh the results that i see for for people who are my clients who are partners in their consulting firm or senior executives wherever they work is they tell me that they feel more grounded they feel more self-aware from you know from the little bit that i've shared with you you can get a taste of it but when we reveal the whole story the result is that that personal clarity that we have empowers us to be more self-aware which means we're more grounded and self-confident in who we are and this is what they're telling me. This is the feedback they give me. And that empowers them to make better choices. So they yeah. make better decisions. And they have better relationships with their peers or the people who work for them. And one of my longer-term visions is to bring this work more squarely into corporate America to help people work in you know, more high-functioning teams, I guess is the right jargon, so yes. that people work better together. And there's a lot of interest in corporate America in personality profiles and personality inventories. And, mm-hmm. again, for my money, this is the best one that I've ever found yes. that's most accurate mm-hmm. and most simple to use. So it is something I want to do more of. Um, and the feedback I generally get from corporate executives, is it really helps them to know themselves better. And that, that yeah. res- the results of that are priceless beyond anything they could put a value on. Very interesting. Um, so, and, and I think, and, and my just to continue with that, I do think that if we are really going to change the course of our worldview and the way that our world operates, it is going to be by changing, shape shifting from the inside out through the power centers, which is corporate America. So, I really do want to approach that world rather than criticizing it so much, which is easy to do, I do want yes. to approach it and, and enter it and transform it on the inside out and bring more self-awareness, more spirituality in there. Um, so, mm. yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. You and I, brother, are on the same page. <laughs> and, uh, I've been really kind of uh, singing that song for a long time, and I have often been heard to say that it really has been uh, big business and corporate America and beyond that has brought us to this uh, relative near-absolute brink of species disaster and beyond species. And uh, I really also believe that it's going to be the enlightenment and liberation of these very same um, captains of industry that are going to be bringing us back and forging uh, really the beginning of a new world. And as well as you know, people on the on the local levels. But uh, if we can change the course and the spiritual values, uh, let's just call them humanistic and humanitarian values, ecologically yes. respectful values, then yes. on those levels, then we will find companies that will say, you know what. I don't really need to do this extraction of fossil fuels from the belly of Mother Earth. 
I don't really need to mine all these minerals. I don't really need to grab all this coal at human beings' vast uh, expense and danger. We can find, let's say, friendlier ways to do it, and we can be more humane, and we'll still make a wild profit, but not at the expense of others, but in cooperation and support of others. It's a different yes. paradigm. It is. And, and I know that that's where I, you're going. I know that yes, that's what you're seeking to support. Absolutely. And, and what I would yeah. like to do, and I believe this is possible, I haven't done it yet, but I believe this yes. is possible to show that spiritual values actually yield a higher ROI, a higher return on Oh, yes. We know by this operate with By operating with more enlightened values and enlightened principles will actually bring a competitive advantage because this is the way corporations think. They think in terms of what's my advantage. So, for instance, yes. when I approach the CEO and I tell them, listen, if you and all of your senior executive team, if you all know your cards to play, that will actually give you a competitive advantage. And so your enlightenment will give you a greater return and you will make more money by operating through these spiritual principles. And this is what I That's want right. to show and develop. You're completely right, and I back you 100%. Not 99, 100, Alexander. And I know it to be true, yes. And I know that that's one of the things I've been laughing about since I was, really, I kind of figured this out either in my late teenage years or 20s. I said, if these guys just did things right, they'd be a whole lot more prosperous. They wouldn't be paying penalties and fines for polluting the air and the water and the soil and and harming each other and the safety, you know, regulations and they're, pay- they're paying penalties through the nose, then they have to clean up the air and the water and the soil and the people medically, and they're going to have to be footing all of those bills, and their heart is being damaged during the whole process because they know in their heart and soul they're not doing things right. That's a price well, to pay. And it oftentimes can lead to heart attacks and strokes and other issues. Exactly. Excuse me? It leads to physical issues as well. Yeah. So it actually leads to their own own personal demise. Demise. So it's about for folks like you and I just connecting the dots in a simple, easy way for other folks to see that if we connect the dots like this, oh, boy, this is what it looks like. Let's connect them in a different way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, just to corroborate what we're saying here, uh, Paul Hawken, who is really one of my great uh, heroes, who wrote The Ecology of Commerce, oh my God, it has been 20, maybe 25 years ago or more. The Ecology of Commerce laid out the return on investment of being green, being energy efficient, being eco-friendly, and being humanitarian. And that doesn't mean charity in some kind of ridiculous way. That means being good to your workers, your employees, even to your executives. It means not overworking people, but being respectful of people. He worked out the, the uh, essentially the spreadsheets of this long ago and proved wow. beyond a shadow of a doubt, Alexander, 
the efficacy and truth of doing things right. And many people have picked up that ball since him, and maybe even some knew it before him, but he was truly one of the real torchbearers of this fundamental business principle, which when accorded with, you know, on the higher level, yields what business is largely about, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, generating capital, you know. So, no, this is all just a way of supporting what you and both of us are saying in the in this yeah, dialogue. Yeah, no, I, I love so, it and it's yeah. it's coming and and we're doing it. And um Yes, it is. This it is, is coming. This is um you know, what's really amazing to me as I reflect on it is the fact that these playing cards have revealed their truth to us now at this time. It's very yeah. interesting. Um it was in the year 2012 that it first came to me in a revelation that the playing cards are the book of life. That's when it first came to me. Oh, and I was in a that's cer- interesting. I was in a ceremonial setting, and it suddenly occurred to me that it's the ancient book of life. Now, as you know, I'm sure, many ancient societies, the Hopi and the Maya and others, prophesied that in the year 2012, there would be an apocalypse on the earth. Sure. And apocalypse means unveiling. That's what the word apocalypse means. Exactly. It doesn't mean destruction. It means unveiling. So unveiling of things hidden. So here we are in the year 2012, and this ancient book of life unveils itself and reveals itself to us. And I believe it does so so that we have a guide, so that we have something to build a new society upon. It gives us a foundation for an enlightened society. And this is what Mm. I'm working for, is how can we have a truly organically flowing, connected society where we all know our game, right? So I know your game to play, and if, you know, I know my children's game to play, and if we all know each other's game to play from an early age, then we can actually support our children and our society to do what we're here to do and then we don't have teenagers with identity crisis because they don't know what to do. We don't have people in their 40s who are confused because their passion is one thing, but their career has put them on a different track, right? When we're all in alignment with our game that we're here to play, that fundamental alignment shifts everything. It's a foundation for a better world. (laughs) That's right. Hey, I like that phrase. I like that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, it really is true. It's really true. So it now me, you it mentioned gives me hope. It, it gives me yes, hope. Yes, it gives you hope. It's yeah. come, it come back to us at this time because we need it, and it gives us the strength and the, the clarity to build a better world. We have this ancient right. tool now available to us again. So it's That's really right. exciting, right. and it gives me hope that we are going to succeed in transforming our world. God bless from your mouth to God's ears and back. Yes, exactly. Now, you had mentioned when we uh, met the other day something about working with young people, working with children and on, as you did just now. And I think as a very powerful population uh, with whom to work, Alexander, because there is such issue with identity confusion. And I think, if I dare say, it's even more so these days with the plethora of different kinds of uh, external stimuli from so many corners. Uh, We 
get more information in a minute than many of our ancestors got in days just by walking mm-hmm. down the street with billboards and print media and and Facebook media and Twitter media and, you know, television and film and wherever you look, you're being sold something or other or being told something is better than another or you should be this, you should be that, you should eat this food, you should wear these clothes and I am thinking about these kids who are 12 and 13 and 14 years old and their hormones are beginning to uh, really, you know, flourish and they don't know what side is up. This could be an incredibly potent grounding tool for them. Yes. Well, yes, and and as we spoke about when we met, you know, imagining what it would be like for you at age 12 or 13 to have learned what I just told you about yourself, that you're going to play this of love and the years of anguish and stress that it could have saved. Right. That's right. Um, and I know I know for myself that's true. And as a parent with two children, I can see my children playing their cards. And yeah. it helps me to support them in the right way so that I can steer them or coach them or empower them to play their game, not my game. This is what most parents do. We, you know, project our own game onto our children. And, you know, and then the kids end up in therapy later on, right, because they don't <laughs> yeah. know their own life purpose. So yeah. this empowers us to raise our children to live their game that they came here for, that they came to this planet to play. And and it yeah. is my fervent hope that we will set this up. And I, I've set up the nonprofit foundation, the Center for Spiritual Nutrition, um, because I do want to do this. Truthfully, it's beyond my bandwidth at the moment. I would like to hire a mm-hmm. whole team of people to help me to do that. Sure. Um, I haven't sure. resourced to do that just yet, but hopefully very soon. You know, when yes. uh, I have uh, Madonna as a client and I'm on Oprah's show telling her about her cards, then maybe yes. we'll have some very wealthy donors who want to support me to create some programming for at-risk kids everywhere or children everywhere as exactly. an at-school program. Yep. Exactly. Well, people do have called me the white male Jewish Oprah, Alexander, so you might not be so far <laughs> off. This could be it right now, starting right now. This could be it, in the making. Did you hear that, Oprah? You have a white male Jewish brother out there who's on the air. Oh, it's funny. You know, uh, we're we're going to have to wrap up here, though, but I, I want to just, uh, as you were speaking, Alexandra, I was thinking about um, a great old classic film with Alan Bates called The King of Hearts. Hmm. Are you familiar? I'm not. I'm not. Oh, well, now I've recommended it. <laughs> it's something to look at. Okay. I don't want to say too much, but it's a beautifully touching film that takes place uh, during World War II among Scottish soldiers, interestingly, touching upon your lineage, uh, who uh, land in Italy, or, oh no, I'm sorry, the south of France, somewhere in France, and um, (laughs) they're on a mission, and they end up coming to a town that was uh, because of 
the potential of German airstrikes, everyone fled the town, and they opened up the local sanitarium, the psychiatric hospital. And everyone from the sanitarium descended into the town and took on a role that they felt so most compatible with. So some became hairdressers and some became the Dutch and the, the Duchess and the Duke and others became, uh, you know, everybody played a role. And then it's the interface of these supposedly nutty people who had been locked up taking on the role of the townspeople and then in come the uh the troops who try to protect them you know in a warlike situation and you have to ask ultimately yourself who are the crazy people really yes. and uh it's called the king of hearts i think it's it's right up your alley you know I will check it out. That sounds like a lovely yeah. story. It's worthwhile. Yeah, it really is. It's a very beautiful, touching story. I think you'll appreciate it. But in closing, please share with us um, some last words that you would like to offer to uh, to our audience here at A Better World. Well, sure. Um, thank you again. And it's my pleasure to share this sure. ancient knowledge. And it's I've realized the reason why I chose to come here now on this planet is to bring forth this ancient knowledge. And one of the things that has changed my life is to realize that we can live our life like it's our favorite game to play. And this is my encouragement for all of us, is that we live our life like it's our favorite game to play. And as we do that, we will have the lightness of heart and the joy and the peace to really enjoy our life and really master our life. It's why we came here. We came here to enjoy ourselves in this game matrix and have all the pleasures and challenges and fun of this life. And it is challenging. If it wasn't challenging, it wouldn't hold our interest. If it wasn't challenging... It wouldn't be a game worth playing. Exactly. Right, And you know, the fact that as we spoke a few minutes ago about these challenges that we see in our world, I find them exciting. It's like trying yeah. to solve a puzzle, like a Rubik's Cube. It's exciting yes. for me. Think about how are we going to change corporate America. It's exciting. Yes. Right? And so that's true Definitely. for all of us in our lives in whatever way, is that we have these exciting opportunities to live our life like it's our favorite game to play. So that's what I encourage everyone and uh, please do come on the website, spiritualnutrition.org. As Mitchell pointed out, you can look up your cards to play. You just put in your date of birth. And then from there, I have several things you might be interested in, some free gifts that I give you. So you can get your free gifts, too, when you come to spiritualnutrition.org. Uh-huh. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Alexander, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom both. And uh, it's, it's uplifting, and I feel like you're providing a very, very valuable service for people. And uh, I really appreciate it. it. It's like looking at the inner matrix, so to speak, the inner mm-hmm. psychic story that we really mm-hmm. need to tell. Uh, so we can understand ourselves, the mechanisms by which we operate, and how to make a difference in the world and contribute our way, as the cards do indicate. And I feel that we probably already know in our gut anyway, and to hear it made more explicit through your coaching uh, makes it more alive. Yes, 
Exactly, yes. So then that's what it does. It provides greater clarity. And that's what this expression of putting the cards on the table means. It's an expression exactly. of clarity. Put the cards on the that's table, right. man. Put your and cards on the table, yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I do. I put the cards on the table so we can have clarity about things we may have intuitively known but weren't 100% sure of. Now we can be 100% sure. That's right. That's right. Keep up the good work, my friend. I really, really honor it. And uh, really glad to have you on, and we'll talk about having you on again. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Mitchell. My pleasure. Absolutely. God bless. That was wonderful. That was Alexander Dunlop of spiritualnutrition.org. What a pleasure to to, uh, shuffle the deck with him and look at all of the options and opportunities that show up when our cards are read well. And I know that he does because I was there and I experienced it. And it was a beautiful uh, feedback loop that got set up as I heard him interpret uh, my cards and uh, let me know things that I already had some sense of honestly, uh, yet it's being externally confirmed and corroborated, and there's something very magical to that. And it helps you feel that your own higher knowledge and higher sense of understanding is really working. It's really there, folks. And in this life, we need as much corroboration as we can get because there's so much that is uh, seeking to show us someone else's way instead of our own and to be able to walk our own walk and talk our own talk is of utmost unique importance so i really encourage you to go to his website spiritualnutrition.org and uh, play with the cards as it were play the cards man play the cards and as coaching i is obvious to me he's been helping a lot of people for a long time and all that information is there So, my dear friends, I thank you so much for tuning in yet again to A Better World. This is, it's quite a work to create a better world, isn't it? Isn't it? Be honest. Put your cards on the table. It's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of joy. And we're facing a world right now of utter strife, so much strife, so much distress, so much pain, so many wars breaking out, so much misunderstanding. It needs the heart of gold. It needs love and compassion and understanding for us to turn this thing around. And we need to do it through concentrated effort, focus, attention, consciousness on so many levels through things as simple as prayer and meditation on the inner levels and clearing the field, as it were, influencing the field from a quiet position, which we can do. These are morphogenetic plastic fields. They're made of plasma. They can be influenced, and they're influencing us all the time. So if we're direct with what we want the outcomes to be, such as, well, now I'm going to sound like a hippie, peace and love, understanding, sustainability, prosperity for all, you know, simple things like that. In reality, these are truly within reach. These seem like foreign, far-off dreams of another life. But I'm telling you, 
It's just not true. It's how do we construct reality? How do we configure it? How do we create it? And it's really in our hands to do. It really doesn't have to look this way at all. We have to slow down and quiet down and get in touch with our hearts and our being. That level. Look at each other in the eyes. Smile a little bit. Make a bad joke or two. In a recent talk I gave at uh, the Wainwright House in Rye, New York, where we had a a call to wholeness for those of you who remember or were there, we had a wonderful turnout just on July 20th when I first came back from Chicago. Uh, I talked about how to negotiate peace between Putin and, in this case, Obama, Uh, with all this craziness happening in my home country, well, grandparents, Ukraine. And uh, I suggested that the two listen first to Russian folk songs and let the heart be touched on a level that is unspeakable, ineffable, and just the vibration of the music goes into the heart and people sing, and people smile, and people cry from happiness when they listen to the folk songs of their culture. Yes, like Alexander was saying, it's actually mathematical in nature. It's mathematical. And then they tell some bad jokes. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. They don't have to be bad jokes. But it has to be humor that enlightens and enlivens and softens the atmosphere. And then they turn to each other and they speak. Vladimir, Obama, come on, Mr. Barack Obama, let's talk sense. Let's not talk war. Let's talk peace. And then it proceeds. They have a basis. What can I do for you? And in in verse, what can I do for you? How can we make this work? Let's help each other. Let's work together cooperatively to make this work. It's a survival mechanism to work cooperatively and to be sociable. Wow. Yeah. Much better than the options. Much better than the alternatives. Anyway, this is the kind of thing we like to discuss. These are the values we like to espouse here at A Better World, which is why I really do ask you all deeply, authentically, to share these shows, these interviews, these dialogues with those you love, those you care about, those you work with professionally, to see about reaching a little deeper and a little higher at the same time. We all need this. We are all in this together. As I often quote Reverend Jesse Jackson, we may have all taken different boats here, but we're all in the same boat now. And indeed, what we're doing to the environment is utterly unspeakable. The ice caps are melting north and south. That frees up ice into our oceans, which creates higher sea levels, which means all coasts all over this planet will be deluged. That means all of the major ports 
which is where all the major cities are, will be deluged, will truly be wiped out, almost tsunami style. And what? Are we stupid? Do we have our heads in the sand? Do we not recognize logic? It's simple. When ice melts, water is displaced, and it goes into an already flowing body of water, and it has to go somewhere, unless we're going to get people to go deep down and dig further down. Ain't going to happen. Uh-uh. It's going to spill onto the land. But that's only one, one, one piece of it. The release of methane, both from the melting ice caps. The Russian scientists have shown that to us many months ago, what volume gets released, as well as from the excess consumption of meat and poultry, releasing methane from the dung, nitrogen, as Dr. Gabriel Cousins reminded me the other night also on the PRN show, nitrous oxide, all go, and this is not laughing gas, folks, it's much more potent, gets into the atmosphere. And these are all the most potent forms of greenhouse gases. We have to look at deforestation. Of course, we have to look at transportation. We have to look at the overall uh, profile of industrialization. Then that's on the planetary ecosystemic level. Then we have to look at the human level and what we're doing systemically to our people. Girls are being killed in droves as they have been for centuries in India because they happen to have been born what is considered the wrong gender. Um, We have human trafficking of the sort that just knows no end, it seems although major efforts are being taken by wonderful people to stem this madness, this enslavement, slavery. I've always said that slavery never ended in the United States. It went, it went you know, uh, became colorless. You could be any color, any gender, any shape, size, or age, and you qualify for slavery. Oh, it sounds rough, doesn't it? But if you think about what is the potential of a free country and then look at the lives we are, in a sense, pressed to lead in so many cases, you think, what? What is the definition of freedom again? I think I missed it. And we want to go back and revisit it. But, as Alexander said wisely, we are limitless. And our souls are free. And we really can do anything if we put our minds to it and we put our collective mind to it. Because there's another level on which we only have one mind. We all have one mind is a better way to put it. Let's use it. Let's use it well for the well-being of all. So on that note, I will uh, begin to close here and say to you all, remind you that uh, if you are of a mind, ho, 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 please, we accept donations to keep us going. We also accept uh, 
We uh, Better World Promotions has paying sponsors, and we welcome sponsorships, and we welcome clientele, and we welcome your participation in the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program. Just see our newsletter or our website at betterworld.tv for more information about that. You can also visit www.mitchellrabin.com for personal consultations of counseling, coaching, uh, stress management, or biofeedback. All of it's there, and we'll be running some groups in New York in the relatively near future, as well as offering higher brain living sessions once I complete the training which will be uh, by the end of August. Very interesting. You can go into uh, betterworld.tv and look up my interview with Dr. Michael Cotton, who is the originator and the aggregator of this brilliant approach toward opening up and accessing our prefrontal cortex and heart, and which is actually a brain, a really fine one at that. And when these two are in communion, in dialogue, we have accessed our human potential, which was not would not allow the kind of world we have today, but basically jettison us into another evolutionary platform, another evolutionary stage for humanity, which is a beautiful banquet waiting to be enjoyed. Uh, and we are the ones who must walk into the banquet room, set the table, and fulfill the terms of a life of love, joy, compassion, responsibility, and sustainability. It's there for us. Let's do it, folks. Thanks again for listening. My name is Mitchell Rabin. I'm so glad you are with us. Please listen to the other shows as well. They're online at betterworld.tv and spread the word forward this to your friends and let's really make a difference. Become part of a better world family and let's move on to the next evolutionary step. Good night and talk with you all soon. Thank you.